right, we're going to be looking at Luke 19. This isn't typically one of the parables of the kingdom. It's a parable about the kingdom. And in Luke 19, it's the parable in, of the minas. Now, if you look at this in the King James Version, it's called the parable of the pounds because British currency, a pound. Now, this word mina is a Greek word which would be M-I-N-A. That's how it would be spelled in the Greek. And a mina was the equivalent of a hundred days wages for a working person. So about three months worth of wages. And so as we come to this parable, uh, here it's described in this translation as the parable of the ten minas. And basically what we're to understand is that this is a symbol, a symbol of a bequeathment or a gift that has been given to individual people to use and invest in their king's business. And in the case here, Jesus is using this as a symbol, and the symbol represents that he has given us the Holy Spirit. And we are, with the Holy Spirit's enablement, we are to go out into the world and invest ourselves in service to Christ's kingdom. So that's the, the basic sense of this. Now I'll begin the reading at chapter 19 of Luke, verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he, Jesus, was near to Jerusalem and because they, the disciples and followers, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over this kingdom. Uh, and so when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered that the servants to whom he had uh, given the money be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. 
You take up what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now you got to remember, this is Jesus telling this story. Uh, this isn't somebody making this up and putting it on Jesus' lips. This is a parable that Jesus told. Now, as we look at this again, we're seeing that there is an error. The disciples were suffering under a misconception. They had seen all the things that Jesus had done. They had seen his power and his authority. They were going up to Jerusalem. They thought the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, was going to appear immediately at this Passover, and everybody would recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and his kingdom would begin, and they would take whatever place Jesus had for them in this kingdom. And Jesus knows that this is what they're thinking. Now, you're going to see at the beginning of this passage, Jesus knows what people are thinking. And you can see at the end of the passage, Jesus knows what people are thinking. And so we need to be pretty well convinced today that, yep, Jesus knows what we're thinking. So we can't ever hide by being quiet. Jesus knows what we're thinking. He knows what's in our heart. The disciples' error. Jesus comes and brings correction. Now, the correction is through the use of a parable. Now, this word parable is... Uh, kind of a component word, but basically it sounds like a word that we use quite a lot, and the word would be parallel. So a parallel and a parable are very much alike. We talk about things being parallel, well, we know they run side by side. A parable is taking one truth and throwing it down beside some illustrative material, and the two run parallel to each other. So a parable is a truth that is cast down to be compared with something that we know and are familiar with in order that we would get the point. Now, the reason, again, a parable was used is it's a piece of poetry. And as a piece of poetry, it's there to be memorable. In other words, it's to be used in order to anchor the thought deep, deep within us so that we would not merely hear things, 
but that we would begin to be possessed by the things that we hear and being possessed by them, the proper outcome would be the result. That's why Jesus uses these parables over and over again. So you have a story and you have Jesus' teaching. The story and the parable and the teaching that Jesus have run parallel to each other. Now, the principal point of this parable is that everyone who is a follower of Jesus is to follow him faithfully. That's the basic sense of this parable, that everyone who is to follow Jesus is to be about following him and following him faithfully. Now, when we look at the story, to be a good parable, the story needs to be comprehended by the audience. Well, this story that, that Jesus uses here is like super familiar to them. So when we go back and Jesus is about three years of age and younger, okay? Jesus three years old and younger. Where is Jesus when he's three years old? He's in Egypt. Now, why has he gone and his family gone to Egypt? To stay alive from whom? Who? King Herod. All right. While they're in Egypt, what happens to King Herod? He dies. Now it says it's time for the angel to show up, and he says to Joseph, the king you are fearing is dead. Return. And on the way back, Joseph intends to go where? Where does he intend to go? Well, from all we know, he intended to go back to Bethlehem. But what it says is, when he learned that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, he went back to Nazareth. Remember that? Well, that's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about that event. So Herod had these sons in his will... Herod said, to this son, you reign over this part of my kingdom. To this son, you reign over this part. And Archelaus, you run over, rule over Judea and Jerusalem. Well, that's all well and good, but it's not up to Herod to decide. It has to be signed off on in a far country. What's the far country going to be? Country. Italy. And the city is going to be Rome. Well, they all knew this. Now, as soon as Archelaus had taken up the initial uh, part of Herod's making him the leader of this area, the Jewish people got in an uprising, and Archelaus killed 3,000 of them right off the bat. 
Now it's time for Archelaus to go to Rome and the Jews send 50 delegates to Rome and guess what they're going to say to the Senate and to Caesar about Archelaus? We don't want this man to rule over us. And then Rome, Caesar, the Senate makes Archelaus not a king but an ethnarch and he comes back and he assumes his role as this leader in Judea, in Jerusalem, and he is very oppressive to the Jewish people during that time. Now that's the story. All the people that Jesus are talking with and hearing this teaching, when Jesus starts this story and gets into it, they automatically are familiar with what, exactly what he's talking about. Other people around the world, as they heard this story, this is the way Rome did it. So it could have been in this part of the world or another part of the world, but any part of the world when there was a transition in power, this is what happened. They would go to the far country of Italy to be confirmed and to receive their kingdom. So you've got all of these elements that are in there. Now, he says that this man who is going to go away, he calls his servants, and he says, I'm going to a far country. Now, when someone in that day went to a far country, it meant he, they would be gone what? A long time. They'd be gone a long time. So while they're gonna, he's going to be gone a long time, this ruler wants representation in his dominion. And so he gives them something in order to allow them to be invested in his kingdom. So he gives them the equivalent of 30 days wages and says, invest this in doing my business. Now what is, again, the point of the parable? The faithful are to be faithful. That's the point. He doesn't give them a huge amount. He gives them a good amount and he says, what I give to you, you go and act faithfully with. Now, if a person's faithful with a little and the man comes back and receives his kingdom, well, he's found that this one can be trusted and this one can be trusted. This one has great gifts. This one has average gifts. Maybe some don't have as many gifts at all. And this determines how they're going to be rewarded in this kingdom. So the giving of the minas is the giving of an opportunity to be faithful and in being faithful knowing that you're going to be rewarded. But what happens when the king comes back 
is surprising in the least. Because one man comes and says, you know, you gave me one mina and I've made ten minas. Well, that still isn't a whole lot. I mean, if you're working in uh, some kind of a job with benefits here in the city and you've got somebody out here that's a day laborer. My son was working at Waffle House managing. I did not know this. Maybe you knew this. You know how much those ladies make waiting tables at Waffle House an hour? How much you think? You got any guesses? $3 an hour. So if you go there, what do you need to do? Please. Please tip them. There are, and if you're thinking that this is a good place to go and sit down and drink coffee for two hours, do it not during breakfast and lunch and dinner. <laughs> because you're cutting into that person's money. But if, if somebody is making that kind of money and you're in your job, you're making a whole lot more than they are. So these people that are, they're not making a whole lot. Here comes this man back, and he has received a kingdom. And they've made a little, and he gives them a city to, to reign over, to rule over, to administrate over. Now, what do you think they're going to get compensated for for that? It's called dis proportionate compensation. That's what it's called. Disproportionate compensation. So the idea is that these people would be faithful in small things and the Lord, the king, would reward them all out of proportion. Now, we'll come to the end of the one man that didn't do anything with it. But it seems to me this man did not understand, A, the Lord. He certainly, B, didn't understand the opportunity. And as a result of it, he shows that the only person that he's thinking about is whom? Himself. That's the huge error here. Uh, God's gifts were given to you not for the first person singular pronoun, which is me, myself, and I. That is not it. So if you're given the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was given to you as a gift so that you can function in Jesus' kingdom. That's the point here. Now, then this other situation happens at the end. You got these people that say, We don't want to be ruled by this man. Now, I mean, this isn't little Jesus meek and mild. It says that these people are destroyed. Now, again, 
fresh on these people's minds is an incident that's not more than 30 years of age when Archelaus slaughtered 3,000 of their own brethren. They can remember that. Probably some of them were related to those 3,000. So that's kind of vivid. So this is the story. And Jesus' point in this story is for the disciples to recognize the parallel or the parable or the teaching. So you have the story, what's the teaching? All right, who's going to be king? Who's going to be king? Who's going away to receive a kingdom? Jesus is. Now, it says he's going away to a far country to receive a kingdom. Now, what we understand is that he, Jesus, did all the things that occurred at that event in time in Jerusalem at the Passover in which all the aspects of his passion were fulfilled. He's dead and buried. Third day, he is risen from the dead. What, 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're told at that point in time, 10 more days after that, what does he do on the day of Pentecost? pours out the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. So the story is Jesus is this king. Now, as it says that he's going away, it says that there are those who hate him and they say we will not have this man rule over him. Has anything changed much? All right, can we scratch the name Jews out of the story at this point? In some case, we can write into the blank some of our friends, maybe some of our family, people that we know. I mean, you've witnessed to them. Other people have witnessed to them. And they turn a deaf ear. One guy said, you know, I ain't, I ain't got any grudge with God. Really? I says, really? Yeah. He and I are great. I'm, I'm thrilled. What are you doing on Sunday? Whatever in the world I want. Well, what about, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath day unto the Lord your God. He says, I'm going to do whatever I want. Oh, I thought, well, we might as well go for the jugular vein. Well, what about your wallet? What do you mean about my wallet? It's just, do you tithe? What do you mean tithe? What's that mean? I mean, do you give a tenth of all you make to the church? No. But you and God are okay. You and God are good. You just do whatever you want, and you're good. God's good. I'm okay. God, you're okay. Let's get on. Is that it? Now, we've got friends all around us that are an abject. They're not going to have Jesus rule over them. And it's very manifest in not so much what they do, but often in what they fail to do and unwilling to do. They're just not going to do what God wants them to do. They're going to do whatever they want. 
What does it say about us in Isaiah 53? All we like sheep, gone astray, everyone his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The difference between us and them is Jesus came knocking at our heart and said, I'm coming in. He didn't ask us to open the door, by the way. He just said, I'm coming in. <laughs> and he did. And all of a sudden, but here we are. Now we've been given the Holy Spirit. So we've gone from being haters to becoming followers. I mean, go and ask those people when I was 22, 21, 20, 19, going back. You know what they're saying? John and God ain't on the same side. That's what they'd say. Okay? He came knocking. He opened the door. He came in. And he said, follow me. And I've been trying to do that. Now, the key is to be faithful. But I'm having to be faithful in the midst of people that are downright mean as snakes. Now, thankfully, there's you all. But I got people that I deal with. My son, who likes to play with cars like I play with cars, you know what he says? He says, I'd rather buy a car from a pagan than a Christian. I says, why is that? He says, I don't expect the pagan to give me any truth. <laughs> if the pagan tells me that the car is a good car, do you think I'm going to believe it? So this problem with Christians is they'll tell you it's a good car. You find out mm, they've parlayed this Christian business into trickery. We got to be faithful. My son doesn't need that experience from me or from any of you. We got to do this with one another, being faithful. There will always be the haters. We need to be faithful in spite of them. Now, the, the key thing here is, to whom are we being faithful? Who gave the talent? Who gave the, the mina? Who gave it in the, in the teaching side of this? Who gave the Holy Spirit? Who gave it? Jesus gave it. Now, he gave it to us to serve him. So who are we serving as Christians? We've got to serve Jesus. Again, that song of Bob Dylan is you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And so the, the thing is, our service is directly to Jesus. Now, what we know is from the scripture is that he did ascend into heaven, and he did receive a kingdom, and he did pour out the Holy Spirit, and he is going to return. Colossians 3, 3 and 4 says, our life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is who is our life is revealed, we're going to be revealed with him in glory. That's at the end. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit, and he wants us to go do business for him. Now, you do business one way. I do business the other way. Um, Beverly and I are always kind of consoling one another. It seems like she is in my business, and I'm in her business. I mean... She gets some of the doggondest requests you ever could ever imagine from people, and she comes to me and says, you can't believe what that person asked me to do. 
I says, well, yeah, I can because they've been asking me to do the same kind of thing too. She tries to help when she can help, and I try to help when I can help, and you try and help people the way you try and help people. I, you know, I can't help the way you help. Um, the other day, one of the girls in the church called up and said, I thought I'd better check my oil. I cleaned the dipstick off. I can't find any oil. I says, where are you? They told me. I drove out there, and sure enough, I couldn't find any oil either. We put a quart of oil in it, and guess what? It barely touched the dipstick. Come up to my house. It was right down the street. Came up to my house, put some more oil in. Came back that night. We changed the oil, put an oil filter in the thing. One of the little girls that's in doing the fellows program here, a couple weeks back, her battery was dead. Now, she's from another city, and she's just out of college. How much money she got? All right, what did we do? What did we do? Put a battery in the car. Well, the battery is one of the, don't buy a Volkswagen because they've got the dumbest battery connections that you could ever imagine. And it was in pieces. So she, I said, call Volkswagen. So this week she calls, she got the part, dumbest thing you've ever seen in your life. If you saw a part like this, you'd say they surely didn't go to Georgia Tech or school anywhere in the United States, anywhere. Well, I looked at it and figured out that it needed a nut to go on it. And when I got home last night, I got the wrench. I put the little nut where it needs to be in the wrench and put some tape over it and stuck it in my pocket. So this morning, she called, I'm here. So I went down, put it back together again. Now, I do that. How many of you do that? But you do what you do. I do the things that I can do. Who are we trying to serve in serving other people? Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. We're investing our lives in other people's lives that Jesus might be witness to through our life. We're trying to make a difference in people's lives for Jesus. And when Jesus returns, he's going to pull us together, and he's going to say, you know that time, John, the phone rang, and you just didn't answer it? <laughs> I'm going to scratch a little of that reward off of there. But he's going to say, you know all those times you did? Because none of us are perfect, are we? But when we serve the Lord faithfully, the promise is he's going to reward us disproportionately. How does he say it? Even if you give someone a cup of cold water in my name, it will not be forgotten. It's a promise. All right. I didn't see Jesus today. I didn't see him last week. I didn't see him last year. Now I know Jesus, and I know Jesus is with me, and I know Jesus is listening to me, and I know Jesus is speaking to me through his word and in my heart and mind, and sometimes through you. He's ruling and reigning, and he's my king, although you can't, can't just kind of pin it down for the unbeliever.
But you know it, and I know it. And just as we know that, we know there's going to come a time and day when he's going to return. And he's going to reward all of our faithfulness. All of it. And it's going to be rewarded disproportionately. That needs to be your confidence and my confidence in a fallen world. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for an opportunity to look at this parable, see a great story by the greatest storyteller of all time, and to get the point. Help us by your spirit to be stirred up moment by moment, day by day, year by year, to be faithful in the small things, knowing that you're going to reward us with great things. May that be our faith and confidence as we follow you all the days of our life, and we pray in your name. Amen.